believe it ben coomber welcome to the development by david podcast how are you really pretty awesome actually i'm yeah pretty good for the listeners who might not recognize the name ben coomber or have stumbled across your podcast who is ben coomber today in 2022 today yeah oh uh 35 i think dad of two girls business owner uh Used to play rugby, love personal development, used to be a beast when I was a kid. Uh, I suppose if you looked at the kind of symptom CV, I've got ADHD, used to have asthma, eczema. Um, and I spend my life trying to help other people realize how awesome they are, building companies and leading teams that develop uh, services and products that have an impact on people's lives and try and continue to follow my passions every day and live a life of freedom, which is a really important word to me. Such a multifaceted um, human being, Ben, with so much experience. You also spoke about your kind of foray with health conditions as well. I just want to know, what was your first foray into the industry? And is fitness inclusive uh, for those who might have health conditions and neurodiversities? In terms of inclusivity, I don't, I don't want to answer the question because I don't know enough about inclusivity, about fitness. And I don't want to, in my part of the world, from my socioeconomic background, from the area that I live in and what I see, to kind of answer for everyone. So I think it's really important for me to sort of honour all the different backgrounds out there, what people have you know, their life experiences, all of that kind of stuff. What I will say is hopefully people can pick up from me and you and various other inspiring people that if you can do something, do something. So even if you don't have a limb on your body, like what can you do? What movements can you do? Can you do something that makes you stronger, feels you have purpose? Because for me, exercise puts movement into your day, right? It makes you, gives you a sense of uh, strength. And I think movement and momentum is a powerful thing for just life feeling like it's going somewhere. And that's what I like about exercise for me. I also like lifting weights because it makes me stronger. And I like being stronger. Like even when I pick up my daughter, I'm like, oh, that was easy because I'm like strong. Um, so in terms of uh, the first bit of your question, which was health challenges uh, and getting into the industry, I became a personal trainer when I was 20. So left school, like most do at 18, was obese, had a load of health issues. And I was going to try and be an actor. I've been an actor like all throughout my teen years, ever since like the age of eight. I'd loved the arts. And I was failing a lot. Like I was then auditioning, wasn't getting into drama school and, you know, all these drama schools are quite often, you know, most of them are in London and they're, you know, there's a certain vibe around London drama schools. But anyway, I wasn't getting in. And there was a point where I had to look at myself and say, perhaps it's me. Perhaps I'm not good enough. Perhaps I'm not presenting my best self. Perhaps I could improve. And that was when I went, look, let's look at myself. I'm five and a half stone overweight. I've got IBS, I've got asthma, I've got eczema, I've got ADHD, and I'm not, you know, saying that they were, you know, inherent problems to my career path, but if they were improved, I could probably do better because they're less of a hindrance. So I then just went on this weight loss journey, this health building journey, and it was so life-changing losing that amount of weight, improving my health. I became more confident. I became more self-aware. I enjoyed being in my own body. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like, I almost don't want to be an actor anymore. I want to go and help other people. And that was when I made the decision to train to become a personal trainer. At that point, I was very fortunate because mum had put a little bit of money aside from a family member passing away. We had like, you know, a little bit of a will payout, so to speak. And uh, she put a bit of money aside for me to go to university. But at that point in my life, I didn't want to go to university. So she said, look, here's a bit of money. Go and do your personal training course and did my courses. And that is what started me being in the fitness industry, which is now nearly 16 years ago. 
16 years ago, being young Ben, who's just signed up via UCAS or whatever the application process was for university, if you were to close your eyes and think about future self-actualized Ben Coomber, would it be an envisage of you owning a supplements company? Or what was the North Star that you were gravitating towards at that moment in time? At that moment in time, I simply wanted to follow an interest. And I think that's all you can do as a young individual that hasn't got things figured out and has got these voices everywhere. Like adults are constantly saying, you know, what do you want to be? And like, you've got to almost pin your hat on one thing. And it's like, well, I don't really know. Like, I'm actually pretty interested in nutrition and fitness, but I also like travel. I also like working with people. I also like sport. And I feel that I was in a beneficial scenario. At the time, I didn't think it was beneficial. I felt very alone. So when I left school, I went to boarding school, which don't get me wrong, is a very privileged upbringing. I'm very thankful of that. But when I left school, I was all on my own. Didn't have a friendship group, like didn't have any friends. I just basically had to rebuild like a a network and find people. And I'm kind of very thankful for that because in hindsight, it meant I had no influences, positive or negative. I could start to choose them. And you talked about uh, your journey um, when we spoke and you spoke about the power of the Internet, giving you access to people that you could follow and be inspired by and learn from. And there was a point when I was 18 where I was like, right, I want to learn about nutrition. So I'm going to go and find the best guy to learn about nutrition. Spoke to a personal trainer. He recommended a book for me. I bought the book. I read the book really quickly, applied all the advice, lost 5.5 stone, totally transformed myself. And then I was like, shit, that's the power of a book. Give me more books. So books started to become my influence. So at the age of 18, 19, 20, I must have read 40, 50 books a year. Just couldn't get enough of it because one book pretty much changed my life. So all of a sudden, I actually had very powerful role models. You know, I remember starting to have desires to be self-employed and own my own business. And at the time, there was a very popular TV series called Dragon's Den, which we all know of now. But then they started to release all their own books. So I was like, well, I'm just going to go and buy all their books and read all their books. And some books I went and got from the library so I could get them for free. And I was like, that was good for me because... I chose such powerful influences and I didn't have friends around me going, why are you doing that? Why are you training to be a personal trainer? Why do you want to just go and stand in a gym all day? Um, And it wasn't until I got to university where I actually started to hear negative voices because I started my first business when I was at uni. And that's really weird to do at uni. Like most people are maybe going to lectures otherwise playing sport and getting shit faced and I did all that but I also did my uni work I had jobs and I started a business and that was the first time where at uni I had to start to really think and develop a bit of a thick skin because people were like oh stop being boring let's play xbox tomorrow morning let's skip lectures and I was like no I'm going into uni because I want to work on my business for a couple of hours before that lecture and it was only then that I started to get to that negativity so I'm really thankful of that But as we know, it's the power of the right people, the right influences, the right messages, which now, given the access of the Internet, of books, and you can go to your local library and get them for free, we can choose great influences that can allow us to achieve great things. What I love about your story there, Ben, is the lack of conformity. When you were younger, you said that you were an acting fanatic, but you played rugby. And I don't know if it's the same where you're from, but in the west of Scotland, Scotland, they're very two unique, different, exclusive camps. You either played sport or you were into the arts. Um, you could either go to university and go out and be a socialite or be an introvert and stay in your halls and work on something. But for from looking from the outside in, you just embraced being you. You didn't conform to one camp or the other. You embraced that weirdness that we've spoken about. Do you think that was a very powerful realisation? I didn't. I didn't. Um, And I suppose that's what you see at the front end of the story. So because I was very overweight, what I loved about acting is it was a way to put on a performance and get noticed. And when you act, you're not yourself. 
So I get to play the policeman or the doctor or the tree. And people then appreciate and love you for that thing because day to day I wasn't appreciated for the person I was because I was the fat kid in school. And there was only me in my year. I was the only fat kid at school. So I got, you know, obviously teased a lot. And then because I went to a military private school, I, well, you have to play rugby. Like everyone plays rugby. And because I was the fat kid, I was then all right because I was big which means in rugby, you get to throw your weight around. Now, obviously, that only lasts so long because all the other kids equally get as big and heavy, but then they become muscular and then you lose because you're the slow fat guy. Um, so I get that it feels like it's a different thing, but it was me trying to fit in and actually find my place when I was younger. And then the kind of anti-conformity really grew wings when I was 18 because I'd spent my whole childhood being told what to do and I fucking hated it you know you go to military school they're like you've got to get up at seven you've got to polish your shoes you've got to march to breakfast you've got to only have two sausages like everything was spoon fed and I was like I don't want this and that's why I'm pretty much unemployable because I've just been told my whole childhood what to do and I'm like I don't want to do that I want to do it my way and it you know, it's fortuitous and led me to become self-employed after, uh, Jesus, only about 18 months in the workforce. And I guess we spoke about the power of social media. And one of the things that is quite propagated through social media at the moment is how entrepreneurship's kind of fetishized. But back when you started your self-employment journey, it wasn't seen as sexy. It was seen as like left field, bold, brave, risky. Um so being in such a regimented environment through military school, how were the perceptions of others around you when you said, I'm going to be this self-employed individual, I'm going to be a self-employed businessman? Did you face pushback from others? Well, no, at the time it was easy. So I remember I'd finished school, I was on my own, I was living uh, just with my mum and the second partner that she married. Um, and training to become a personal trainer it was literally I used to get up in the morning I was a van driver and a print laborer at the time so I used to go to work at eight o'clock in the morning do your van driver thing then I used to go for two hours uh, to the gym in the evening uh, which was basically my second home at that point in time and then I'd go home and study all night to become a personal trainer and then because I was already in the gym and met the person whose gym I went to work in in that gym it was actually a very isolated journey. Again, I didn't have any external negative feedback loops. It was basically my mum going, and my mum's always been my greatest cheerleader, and I'm really grateful for that. She's always been, do whatever you want to do. I'll support you no matter what. Just go and spread your wings kind of thing, and very grateful for that. So, yeah, I've not had to kind of face those noises early on, and I think that allowed me to get enough momentum so that when I encountered them in the future, I had a slightly you know, I had I already had a track record because we build confidence through our past successes, right? Like if if whatever job you're in, if you do it long enough, you become confident in that job just through doing it. So because I'd already done it for a while, I was like, no, hang on a second. Like I'm I'm not crap. I'm not useless. I can do this because I've already been doing it for two years. Success breeds success, right? So when you finished university, what was next? I had a crisis of identity uh, or kind of what happens now. So I started my first business in the second year of university, brutally failed with it, like made all the mistakes, wasted loads of money. Um, my mum had loaned me three grand. My granddad had loaned me three grand. I'd got a three grand grant off the university. So I'd spent nine grand on this business and then kind of tore it up and then um, had the confidence again because I had good people around me. So I joined the Enterprise Centre in my university and rented a desk. It was £40 a month to rent a desk. And with that, you got a computer, a nice warm space, a little kitchenette. And of course, you were around other business owners that were trying to do the same thing. And opposite me, there was two guys, Philip Benson, who I still talk to today, and Guy Wallace, who I still talk to today. 
Philip Benson at the time uh, was a co-owner of a smoothie company and they used to go into schools and blend up smoothies for kids and teach kids about fruits and vegetables. So it was an amazing little business. And then Guy used to be the on-site photographer for the uni. So whenever you went on a night out, it was him and his team photographing all the events and everyone drunk and having loads of fun and stuff. And then he kind of moved into tech and Phil's moved into loads of cool stuff. And, you know, I remember sitting in that environment and being like, guys, my business is going terribly. Like I'm not making any money. And they, they sat down and they helped me. They were like, right, cool. Let's look at your values. Let's look at your purpose. What identity do you want in your business? Who do you want to serve? Like, why are you doing it? And then I created this next business, which again was very similar to the first business, but it had really what I wanted to do the first time in it. And that was that I wanted to help people that were similar to me that were into sports and fitness and the gym pursue similar goals. So improve their body composition, really understand sports, nutrition, become a better rugby player, tennis player, football player, etc. And I uh, had been doing that a year. And I finished university. And when you finish university, of course, everyone leaves. Now, at the time, my mum lived in Dubai with uh, that partner. So I couldn't just go home. I didn't have like a home to go to. So I was like, oh, dear. So I stayed in my university town, Hull, for six months. And then I was so lonely. I was just like, I've got to get out of here. I was living in a one bedroom, uh, two bedroom flat flat sharing with this guy, didn't get on with the guy. It was just a bit weird. I was trying to run the business out of his bed, uh, his living room. He didn't like it. So I was like, mom, can I have a flight to Dubai? Um, so she paid for me to fly out to Dubai. I spent a month there. And that was a really pivotal time because I started to have a lot of panics. And when you panic, you start to speak to people and you kind of complain and you start to vent a bit and, oh, woe is me. And um, I started to speak to my dad. And uh, I've not spoke to my dad a huge amount through my childhood. My parents uh, got divorced when they were, when I was about 11. Um, and uh, dad before that was military man in the merchant Navy. So wasn't, I would describe from memory, wholly present in my childhood. And I remember speaking to him and he's like, well, son, why don't you just go in the military? And I was like, oh, you know, maybe. And because I was acting through fear, I was like, what, what am I doing with myself? I've, I've created this facade that I'm a business owner and I'm doing this thing, but not earning any money, not getting anywhere. And um, he was like, maybe you should join the RAF as a PTI. You'll get to travel. You'll get to do some cool stuff. You'll get to be a, basically a personal trainer with the support of the services. And I thought, well, actually, it's probably not too bad. But then I was like, what about my sense of freedom? What about the sense of being in control of my own destiny? What about financials? Because the reality is, if you go in the military as a PTI, you'll, I don't know, you'll go on 26, 28, 30 grand a year. You'll be able to move up a little bit and then it will stop. That's like your career, career ladder. Like there's not a lot of opportunity there. And I was like, no, no, no I don't want that. But I, I kind of went for it. So I didn't know what else to do. And I remember going home and it was a, uh, like the beginning of the year and I started to train to become a RAF PTI and I had this you know idea in my head that it's cool it'll be safe it'll be secure and uh, the best thing that ever happened to me was I got rejected from uh, basic training and it was really trivial because I traveled quite a lot um, they wouldn't let me in they said I was a terrorist risk really yeah, how mad yeah um, they said, you've traveled too much. You've been to too many countries. Like, we, we don't like that. Like, it's weird. Like, we've never seen someone so young travel so much. And I was like, okay, all right, fine. Um, and then I tried a bit more. Like, I, I wasn't taking no. Um, but then I failed the fitness test. I couldn't get fit enough. Um, and I'm not a very good runner. And I just couldn't run fast enough to do the 1.5 mile time. So I was like, oh, my God, back to the drawing board. And that was when I had these moments of reflection of like, right, okay, let's write down my goals. Like, what do I want to achieve? Why do I want to achieve it? You know, what is my sense of self? And that was when I went back to these business books that I've read, the Dragon's Den books and stuff. And they were like, they're all telling the same stories. Like it takes three, four, five years to build a business. And there was me crying in my milk because I hadn't made a success of myself in a year. And I'm like, if all of these massive, successful, amazing people say it's going to take you three, four, five years, then get on 
get on the journey, get on board, like buckle up, pull your trousers up. And that was when I kind of committed and I said, right, what do I need? Okay, I need bread on the table. What skills do I have to do that? I'm a personal trainer. So I went and got a part-time job as a personal trainer. So in my free time, I could work on the online business. And for years and years, I straddled being a personal trainer, sports coach, kind of little bit of consulting just within that kind of remit while building up the business. And after three years, it grew to be quite big. I then started the podcast. I then started, and don't get me wrong, I was hustling a lot online. I was online a lot, answering questions, going where people wanted fitness advice. And in the end, I ended up with the number one rated podcast in the UK. I was on Writing for Men's Health. I was headline speaker at Body Power. And it was all really because I committed to the journey, knew it was going to take a while and just kept finding the opportunities, kept reading the books, kept realigning my goals, kept seeking what was the next step and learning to enjoy that uncomfortable process. Super, super inspiring. Like that was just ladled with lessons, Ben. But people see from the outside, oh, the men's health cover or the successful podcast, they want those parts of your life, but they don't want to take the full thing. What were some of the sacrifices that you made during that, that, that time? suppose when a lot of people would be out having a few jars on a Saturday night, I was at home on the sofa watching Saturday night TV while I was on my laptop answering people's questions in fitness forums so that people would recognize my name. So literally any bit of free time where most people would be sat in front of the telly doing NAFL, I was never doing NAFL. I was always on Facebook. Uh, one of the things I did, again, this is kind of like a, a tactical thing. Um, a lot of people listening to this will know of the company My Protein. So at the time, they were like the emerging sports and fitness supplement brand. So I thought, well, they've got a really busy Facebook page. Everyone that's buying supplements from My Protein is interested in fitness. So they're my they're my target market. They're my people. I can help these people. So I basically became the unofficial fitness and nutrition expert for my protein because i literally lived on their facebook page but there was literally hundreds of people asking questions every day like what creatine should i take should i take whey protein should i take this vitamin and i was there like all the time bang 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 and then in the end my protein went bro we might as well give you a job now like (laughs) you've been lingering for so long it's weird that you're not kind of around us so then they kind of gave me like a ambassador expert kind of role and then that morphed into kind of other things and yeah like what is the sacrifice well when people are twiddling their hands i'm planning and building the empire oh man i love that story and the thing is especially in today's culture we want instant gratification we expect immediate input equals immediate output or vice versa but you were in those forums just showing up time and time again just showing up showing up showing up showing up and you weren't probably getting any monetary value from any of those replies that you were getting until that break that you got from my protein where they gave you an ambassadorship is there any other moments in your career where you've just shown up shown up shown up without any reward but then it's magnitude has uh engulfed the reward for you i think going to the fitness events so i always looked up to people at fitness events like body power body power is the biggest one at the time and uh thought i could be there one day like i want to do some stuff you know in it in it if you go to these events you very quickly drink the kool-aid it's an amazing experience like there's thousands of people and i thought well if i want to be in that environment i need to go and experience it i need to start talking to these people i need to start shaking hands i need to have my face seen around so i just started to put myself in these environments. So, you know, over time, you then learn your opportunity and the confidence to pick your moment to introduce yourself to someone and say, oh, you know, I'm an aspiring ex. Like, how do you, how did you do this? And the shows like that, they're put on in a way that you actually have access to those people. It's like before social media was a thing and you could actually just slip into someone's DMs and they might reply. You went to these events and you talked to them. And you said, like, hey, bro, I love what you're doing with X. Like, how did you do that? And you'd get advice and tips. And then later on, when I might have asked them to be on my podcast three years later, 
they kind of recognize the face and they're like, hang on a second, I spoke to you like three years ago and you came up to me and you're that cheeky little fucker that, you know, was asking me all these questions. So yeah, you kind of got to say, right, where do I want to be? Well, let's start rubbing shoulders. Let's just put myself in that environment. Let's buy a ticket. Let's get there. You'll never remember me, but I remember you at the SFN Expo in 2018 or 19 with Awesome Supplements. I remember exactly where your stall was. And I think I got the creatine beta alanine mix that you had at the time. Um, yeah. I think it's, is it Power now? Is the name of it? It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember getting that from you. And I remember you brought to life on, 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 on your show the story about CT Fletcher. I would love to share that with my audience, how, how you got him on your show uh, and the kind of story behind that. Yeah, so we were at the time talking about uh, social capital and I was trying to verbalise that there's so many moments in our lives and you might call them sliding door moments where we have an opportunity to find an extremely radical level of courage that makes us perform an action that puts us into the situation that we want to be in. And examples might be that you're at a bar and someone that you like is there and you want to go talk to them, but you're scared. You're scared of tripping over your words, making a fool of yourself, etc. But if you were able to find this radical surge of courage to just get over there and for 15, 20 seconds be like, hi, my name's Ben. I'm really nervous, but I think you're beautiful. Love the dress that you're wearing. Can I buy you a drink? And in that moment, you then break that barrier, the barrier that you were scared with, with just 20 seconds of radical courage. So I was at Body Power and I'd started my podcast and I knew that the way or a way to grow a podcast was to bring great guests on the show, right? You have inspiring conversations, they share it, et cetera. So there was an audience of about a thousand people and I was like, right, I'm going to go and watch C.T. Fletcher and I'm going to wait for the Q&A. And when the Q&A happens, I'm going to sit there with my arm up until they come and give me that microphone. And after a lot of patience and a dead arm, I was able to get the microphone. And again, I just summoned this radical level of confidence because I knew what was on the other side. And this is the thing about this. You have to focus on what's the, on the other side. Right there in front of you is fear. You have imposter syndrome. You're like, what if I fumble my words? But on the other side of that is the, ne the next level of greatness, is the opportunity, is the experience. So I stood up and I went, hey, and this is in front of a thousand people. I'm speaking to C.T. Fletcher. He's one of the biggest names on the internet at the time. He had like a million followers on YouTube. He went, hey, I said, hey, C.T. Fletcher, I'm a massive fan. My name's Ben Coomber. I want to run one of the top UK podcasts for health and fitness. I would absolutely love it. You'll make my day if you would come on my podcast. Would you do that? I'll only take 30, sec um, 30 minutes of your time. Would you come on my show? And he just went, whoa, you put me on the spot in front of a thousand people. Can't really say no, can I? And then he hooked me up with his uh, personal assistant. They connected the dots. And a week later, I was talking to CTU Fletcher and it helped me, you know, take a, a good leap in my podcast. But it was through that radical courage, that moment of like, I can see what's on the other side. I've just got to ignore this fear and do it. I had someone like CT Fletcher on my podcast. And also I just advertised my podcast to a thousand people in the room. that are all interested in fitness. But I only did that by paying 30 quid to get a ticket, having a plan and then having radical courage to be able to stand up and make that move. You can never replicate that on like Facebook marketing or search engine optimization. It's like total guerrilla marketing. I love that story. I've heard that now for the second time and you probably see my face. I was smiling, clapping my hands again subconsciously. What a great story. And I loved what you brought to life there about the curiosity of what could be on the other side. And it made me think about anxiety and anxiety or performance anxiety isn't about right now. It isn't about us speaking on this podcast. It isn't about performing in the moment. It's about an event in the future that might or might not occur. And it's just so funny that um, the analogy that you brought to life there about seeing what's over the other side really brought that to life. And I think one of my biggest regrets, and I'm going to ask you what one of your regrets might be, is not taking, not taking those moments where I could have been at the other side. I'm scared when I'm 60 or 70. My biggest fear is to look back and think, what if I did this? What if I did that? Now that you're in your mid-30s and you've had all these leaps of faith, have you had any moments where you reflect back and think, I wish I took that shot? 
just like you did with uh, C.T. Fletcher. Probably. Nothing in terms of a sliding door moment sort of crops up. And I, I suppose what I've tried to do is that if I failed in the moment to take that sliding door moment, I've tried to curate it in the future. So if I've seen someone at an event and I didn't have the opportunity or balls at the time to go, you know, hi, I'm Ben, I've gone, but I still want to talk to that person. So I'd find another way, whether it's via LinkedIn or Instagram or, you know, find a different technique. So I always go back. I don't allow it to defeat me and let the opportunity go. Um, my biggest regret is uh, my business started to grow pretty big. And it was about, I want to say it was about 2015. I started to get to a point in my business where I had to bring on quite a few people to basically run it and help and grow a business. But I'd been an entrepreneur for so long. And um, I started to listen to some voices. And the voice I started to listen to was the very voice that gave me the most criticism when I was at university. And this person was a close friend. Now, at the time, this person had got a job at a very big company, O2, and was working in what you might think is quite a flashy job in O2. And I made the mistake of making a very big business decision while drunk in London, drinking the Kool-Aid at James Haskell's birthday party. And we were outside and we we're having a few beers and like he was criticizing the business and, we're, and he was like, oh, well, you should come in and you should you know, run it. You should run my business and I can do this and I can do that. And of course, I'd set that ball in motion. And, you know, there's a couple of things here. I needed to have the strength to say, hang on, this person's always been my biggest critic. You know, what environment is that going to create in my business? Secondly, business decisions aren't great to be made on a uh, head full of alcohol and if you do make some kind of decision make sure you reflect on it properly the next day and have a way to kind of back out um, and then I kind of was spending moments of time again I suppose with imposter syndrome is like I spent all this time being kind of like an entrepreneur online coach helping people but now I've got to build a business and I don't really understand numbers I'm terrible with numbers still you know, to this day, it's not a natural thing for me, but I'm a very creative person, quite good with words. And uh, again, I let the doubt in long enough to let a bad culture come into my business. And uh, we started to make hires. There were bad hires. And two years later, 2017, I spent the whole year battling going bankrupt and uh, was probably the second now, second most difficult year of my life, I'd say. 20 2020 to 21 was probably my most difficult having suffered with long covid it's not enjoyable anyway um i had to correct all of the bad decisions that i'd made over the course of a year and i worked myself to the bone every month i was you know getting calls from my accountant going yeah you need about 17 grand this month like you know, where are you going to get it from? And that was when I, you know, went on tour, I wrote a book, like I just did all these things to try and save the business. And it was all because I let a negative influence in, I made some bad decisions while drinking, I drank my own Kool-Aid. And at the time, I was trying to, you know, question myself rather than actually just spending a bit more time with the problem and going, do you know what, I don't know how to take the next step, but I trust myself enough to find out how to take the next step and again that's the power of negative voices these negative voices got in it made me question myself I was already having a couple of doubts and then I thought oh, okay well this person will fix the problem and it didn't lead to fixing the problem what was the difference between that moment in time and your initial startup in university when you failed and lost the money of your your mom and the business grant what was different the second time around Second time around, I had, uh, what, probably six, probably about eight people on full-time payroll. Um, you know, the balance sheet, the cash was 10 times. Like, we're not talking a couple of grand. We're talking, yeah, we need to bring in 85,000, you know, this month to just sort of break even. So it was letting all the staff members down. It was, you know, failing in a big way. Um, and 
that you know that has gravity it weighs heavy on you so that was the key difference like i i knew i could go and earn a couple of grand and pay my mum off and my mum was cool with it she was like look okay i get you haven't got money right now so just pay me back next year and same with my granddad but it's very different when you're having to earn tens of thousands just to pay people's salaries Uh, there's a huge point there about failing in the public domain like when you failed the first time as a and not that you failed the second time around but when you've struggled the first time around only your grandparents and your mum would have known but now that you're accountable to so many people and you're on social media there must have been some sort of lever that did drive you to go on and not fail because then it'd be a much spectacular failure it'd be a showcase failure do you still carry that with you now the fear of failing in public? Uh, yeah. I'd say it's something that I've been working through this last year a bit. And it's it's been difficult because my business is now going through a similar phase to when it first tried to grow. So 2017, I had to basically get it back on track. Then 2018, 2019, we had to grow again and try and create that, that cycle again because I'd screwed it up. Um, and last year we were kind of really trying to break that plateau in a slightly bigger way again. So again, there was a bit of fear of like, Ooh, been here before, screwed it up before. But at this point in time, I didn't have my health. I was in a very bad way with my health. So I couldn't make clear decisions. I couldn't work in the way that I wanted to. Like I just wasn't a good version of myself. Um, so that was problematic. Um, people have asked me a lot what kept me going. What kept me going is that, I knew that other people had been in this situation before. So again, I've read all the books and all the books have had a similar failure, a similar story where they've, they've messed up or whatever. But the key thing is they learn from it. They come back stronger and they have the humility to know where they went wrong and try not to make that mistake again. And life is ultimately a series of failures till you, you know, have some kind of success. But then there's also a habit element. I'd for many, many years been getting up at five o'clock in the morning and doing the work. And when you do that, that's a habit. So I'd get up and I'd do the work and I just had to work a bit more, a bit harder, a bit stricter, a bit smarter and, um, you know, ask for help a little bit more. And I didn't ask for help enough. I stayed far too silent in that period. I felt like I had to fix it all, had to solve all the problems and, I felt really free at the end of 2017 where I recorded a podcast and I told everyone. So I'd spent a whole year pretending online, pretending to everyone that I wasn't struggling when I was. And I spent, I think it, I kind of clocked it up as nearly three days answering all my Instagram messages from people because of the outpouring from the show where people were like, oh my God, I never knew that. Like, I can't believe someone shared a story in such a vulnerable way. And this was what, you know, end of 2017. And I'd say the internet now has become a more vulnerable place. Mental health is having a bigger platform now. But I'd say even back then, like, you weren't hearing that many stories of stuff like that. Um, so a lot of listeners reached out to me. And, uh, you know, a lot of people said, oh, I saw you at Body Power this year or SFN or whatever. Yeah, you look different. You look like something was weighing you down. And it's, it was because I had to be there and perform because it was almost like my life depended on it rather than I wanted to be here to teach and inspire and uh, help people. So, yeah. And, and your quest for looking for help or sharing your story. I came across actually one of your podcast episodes about where you speak about going to therapy. Yeah. And how it's framed by society is that you go to therapy if something's wrong or you're not well but you talk about it like it's like going for coaching how has therapy helped with this process it's helped me understand myself motivators drivers it's helped me contextualize things it's also helped me become a better coach because i'm getting coached and i always think that you should get coaching or mentoring from people above you because they have the wisdom and the experience. And um, I still get it to this day. I had a session yesterday uh, and we were talking about 
expectations versus reality and most of the disappointment or the frustration that we have in life is because we have very high expectations and the real world doesn't meet our expectations so then we beat ourselves up about it and we're like i should have done better i should have been better i should have experienced it differently when the only reason it wasn't that is because i had an expectation of how it should be which was created by myself anyway and i know this but i was sort of struggling a little bit with it um in certain areas of my life um and my thing is is ultimately if you were to look at a lot of the people that you aspire to whether they are athletes or business owners or whatever they've all got people in their corner on speed dial or they're having sessions with them where they're getting coaching they're getting guidance they're getting mentoring and for me therapies like well, it's life guidance, it's self-guidance, it's exploration. And there's nothing that's not good that can't come from it. Unless you get a really bad therapist or unless you are not open to change, there's nothing that can't happen that's good because you're getting guided, you're getting awareness. And I would say quite often, you know, don't get me wrong, there's some therapists that might not connect with people, they might not be that well-suited, etc. But I'd say most people that I've spoken to, they're like, oh, therapy didn't work. And I'm like, you're not even open to the advice I'm giving you right now. I can see it in your eyes that you are totally closed to change. No wonder therapy didn't work. So for me, therapy is still an exploration of self. See, I can become the best version of myself. Ben, I just want to drop the mic um, because that was a mic dropping moment. I think we're really, really unraveled and pulse checked who ben coomber is today in 2022 this whole roadmap of self-discovery through your business forays through leaning on other people through asking for help through being vulnerable has really brought your character to life can i move on and ask about awesome supplements and ask where that idea came from sure uh, the idea came from uh, being in the fitness industry you work with various companies your ambassadors for companies etc and i was working with a company as their ambassador and uh it started to get quite uh it was full of friction you know there was a lot of kind of heated debates being had the company were trying to sell products that i didn't agree with and i was being asked to go on social media and like pro- promote things and uh in the end the kind of relationship soured and uh, I left working with that company. So I then started to look for other companies to work with because in my line of work, you get asked about supplements all the time and you recommend them. You know, if someone's on a sports nutrition plan, they're trying to build muscle, et cetera, you're recommending creatine. You're probably recommending a protein, et cetera. So you have a company that you would refer people to and you might benefit from that, you might not. Anyway, I started to look around. I was like, hang on a second. All these companies are the same. They're all selling the same stuff that doesn't work, but it's been sold for so long that people are still buying it. CLA, fat burners, acai berry extract. Like, don't get me wrong. It's a lot better now than it was back in like 2014, 2015. The industry has cleaned itself up a lot. And I feel quite proud that I feel we've spearheaded a lot or a good chunk of that cleanup because we really went out on a limb on calling a lot of it out. Um, so I was like, well, I can't find a company to work with because they're all doing the same stuff. How hard can it be? Why don't we start a supplement company? So you do the normal exciting thing of sitting around a table, trying to think of a name and all the rest of it. And I think this is where naivety is actually a great business asset, because if you knew what was really ahead of you, you probably wouldn't do it. But I had a huge dose of naivety and ego. And I was like, right, we're going to build a supplement company. And um, luckily, the first business uh, was profitable. It was in a good position. So I used the profits from that business to start Awesome Supplements because a product-based business is capital intensive. You have to buy the stuff before you sell it. Um, So we created the business and that was how it happened. And we created a bit of a niche for ourselves where we were like, look, we just want to do things honestly. We want to provide a good product. We want to be there for you. We want to support you. And uh, it worked. And over time, it's evolved to join my narrative of trying to help people live a more awesome life. And that's why the supplement company is called Awesome Supplements, because we just want to make awesome supplements. Thank you for unpacking that, Ben. It's so strange 
not strange, probably serendipitous that all entrepreneurs either create something into existence that already that doesn't exist already, or they solve a problem which frustrates them. Yeah. So how did you go from like frustration to ideation to creation? Like, how do you start? Once you've got the name, you're around the table. How do you actually get the product ready uh, to be sold? Well, after that, it's just the right people. So you start asking around. So you sit down on the table, you think, oh, cool, well, what do we want to stand for? What are our beliefs? That starts to formulate kind of a brand, a brand image, um, a look, a feel, an identity. Then you decide on a name and then you're like, cool, what products do we want to sell? What will the products be called? The products might fit into the company's like narrative or identity, which for us it did. So that was another reason I liked awesome supplements because we could just say, well, let's call it an awesome whey protein shake, an awesome vegan shake. It just felt really easy. And then we were like, right, cool. We need someone to make this look pretty. We need someone to make it. We need someone to build a website. And then you kind of go off and do all those things. Now, don't get me wrong. I already had a head start because I'd already built one e-commerce business. I'd already branded a business several times. So I knew a certain part of the journey already, but I didn't know the making and the blending. The thing that really stood me in good stead is I have very high standards for myself and what I want to deliver to other people. And one of the reasons I think our business stood out is because when we made, you know, what is just a protein shake, we tried to make it taste as incredible as possible. So when people tasted it, they're like, whoa, I've never tasted a protein shake that good before. I'm like, yeah, well, that's the difference between us and other brands. One of my friends who uses your, and friends and work colleagues that uses your product religiously, I asked her, give me some feedback or some uh, words that you would sum up uh, Ben's brand with. And she said, I just love his focus on high quality product. And I thought, that's probably quite right. Because when I uh, engage with your product, I think I had also your vegan protein. There's not another vegan protein in the market that tastes and sits with me the way yours did. Um, and I also noticed at one point, and I, and I might be wrong in saying this, um, your product life cycle or brand life cycle is went in like a numerous amount of stages from um, the original concept to then, I think you removed packaging and, or you went into kind of sachets and you, you removed tubs and then you went fully dairy free. When yep. you have the big my proteins of the world and the USNs, was it, did it not feel quite risky just niching yourself uh, to only sachets and only um dairy based uh dairy free based uh produce well it didn't feel risky it was risky you know whey protein was 20 percent of our total business so at the time we threw away a lot of customers and that was just the whey protein people don't generally just buy whey protein they also buy other products and most people that have whey protein also buy gym performance products so they're buying creatine etc so that decision probably meant that we waved goodbye to a good 35% of our business overnight. So it was a very risky decision. We're still recovering from it. But I believe it's something that we want to stand up for. It's also part of a, it's a business decision because the whey protein market is becoming very complicated. It's getting very expensive to ship it around the world. You know, a lot of the good quality stuff comes from Europe. You've then got the Brexit issue. So we were just facing a lot of supply chain challenges. And we were like, well, 85 to 90% of our brand is already plant-based. It's a huge interest area for people. Why can't we just be a brand for everyone? And I've always felt that our vegan protein tastes just as good as whey protein. Don't get me wrong. It has a textural difference you can clearly taste the texture between a whey protein and a vegan shake but i was like taste wise enjoyment wise we're head and shoulders above the competition so that then allowed us to not have to have eight different types of protein in our range we can now have four which is in some ways a good business decision so short term we have to play pay heavily financially like it's been huge to pay financially, but long-term I believe in the strategy and I believe in the ethos that we want to have as a business. When I look from the outside in at Awesome Supplements, without it even being in the name or the mission statement, I see Awesome as the uh, dairy-free protein 
or the dairy free supplement organization or the the best and class vegan protein without you even having to say that on your websites and it reminds me of um the sony walkman this sounds so bizarre but i can't remember the, the gentleman the japanese gentleman that designed the sony walkman but he had all of his peers uh, and all of his friends say oh the sony walkman what a great piece of tech it plays music but we could add in a recorder like do you know how easy it would be to record the voice on the sony walkman um then we'd get we'd compel to the market that wants a voice recorder and the designer of the walkman said that does sound easy but i will never do it and they're like but why he said well then what is it is it a recorder is it an mp3 player what is the walkman and i feel like by you doing that with awesome you create this subconscious title and status and signal to your target market they know without you having to say it they know you are the best in class vegan protein without you having to explicitly say that but if you had whey if you had um whey isolate you had diet whey then what are you known for and i like i said i, I look at awesome and i think best in class for um non-dairy produce or products um do you think that's something you pride yourself in or you recognize definitely um and we're highly awarded i mean that protein's won four or five awards now uh, across the sector over the like the last two years so you know in business as well you've also got to take your opportunities you know we had a huge we had a slightly too big product line in my opinion so we started to say well hang on what do people actually love us for why don't we just go all in on that why don't we just give our customers exactly what they love us for and it always felt like we did whey protein just because loads of people wanted whey protein and they did. They loved the brand. They loved the taste. Our whey protein was good quality. And I was like, but we're doing things just because people want it. And it isn't, I'm not going to say it was easy money. We did it to service a need for people. But I was like, it makes it a lot harder to grow and actually reach the people that we want to reach because we've weighed our product line down with so many other options. You know, if you've got to keep huge amounts of stock rather than a focused stock, that limits how nimble you can be. It limits how much cash that you have available to, you know, develop new products. And I was like, we're, we're not, we can't grow and outperform the market in whey protein. So let's just let the my proteins continue to fight with bulk powders and everyone else for whey protein. That's not our jam. This is our jam. This is what we're great at. Let's go all in. That's awesome, mate. I love that. I absolutely love that. I'm getting excited here. You spoke about the fetishization of entrepreneurship, but I've seen you reply to my emails about this podcast at like 6 a.m. or circa 6 a.m. What does the day in the life look like, you, look like for you just now, Ben? I've always been an early riser, and I think that was kind of programming through like learning through business books and you know what people would talk about in terms of productivity so i'd always get up early and basically seize the day i remember when i was at uni i used to get up at five i used to pack my bag all my food rollerblade to uni i used to put all my food in the fridge at the enterprise center where i rented a desk i used to do about three hours of business work then go to uni then go to the gym then come back do some business work then go to lectures then play sport then go finish a couple of business things out and then I'd go and get, you know, shit face like everyone else and have a party and, you know, get up at 5am and do it again. So I've always been an early riser because I see the value in it. When the world's sleeping for me is a great time to do good work. A um, little bit different now because I'm a dad of two under two. So sometimes I'm getting woken up like last night. Uh, I mean, I've been up since 1.30am and uh, I was, obviously up with my daughter for like half an hour trying to settle her because she was teething. And uh, I was like, well, I'm awake now. I know I'm not going to get back to sleep because I've got, I've got a very creative mind. As soon as it's awake, it's awake. Um, so I started work at about quarter past two this morning and I've got a load done. I might have a nap later, probably not. And that that's, that's just it. I just lean into that kind of craziness, but you know, building a business getting a sense of clarity you need to find the space some people are night hours and hours some people do it at the weekend i like to get up early when the world's sleeping and just come into my office cup of coffee dim light and be like i don't need to be anywhere i'm not getting disturbed i'm not getting badgered 
let's do the deep work. I love it, mate. I absolutely love that. I'm the exact same as you. Uh, and I feel conscious that I'm taking so much of your time. This is like evening for you. You'll be going to bed after this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I speak about how hard it might be to be an entrepreneur and all the sacrifices that you have to make. But I'd love to know in the flip to that, what's the fruits of the, la- the, the labor for you? Is it financial or is it kind of more legacy driven? Well, it can be financial, of course. It depends how you shape it. Uh, and I'd like to think that everyone that becomes an entrepreneur has a financial goal to some degree my entrepreneurial or the reason i wanted to be self-employed was freedom it's still like a number one driving word for me and the freedom in the early days was freedom to make my own decisions do work my way do work that i want to do so i became self-employed because i was in control of my time and the reality is you generally work harder than most people you do as a small business owner that's just you know, you're because you're wearing so many hats, like you can't wear all of those hats and work a you know seven hour day. It quite often doesn't work. Um, so that was initially it. And then over time, that sense of freedom changed. So I knew that the freedom that I wanted to experience on a normal day to day level, because I didn't have this as a kid. I know I went to private school. I know I had a very privileged education, but we didn't actually have a lot of money when we were younger. And that was because my parents got divorced when they were 11 and then like mum brought us up and we used to live at the school. So the school I went to, we lived at, was there all the time. Um, and, you know, when I wanted to go on trips or have things, it was kind of like, well, you know, I might have to save up, you know, I'm not sure. And I might borrow a bit of money off my granddad and whatnot. So I always had in the back of my mind that I never wanted to grow up through my best years and your twenties, let's be honest, your twenties are some of your best years. Like, cause you're just getting out there. You're making sense of life. You want to go on adventures. You want to travel. You have great parties. Like my twenties were great. Like I went all in on my twenties. Um, and I didn't want to be that guy that couldn't like, Oh no, I don't want to come to Ibiza for a week because like I've got no money. So that was another reason I worked hard because I wanted that sense of freedom that, if I walked into a shop and I wanted a pair of trainers, I just want to be able to buy the trainers. I don't want to be like, oh, you know, I'm not, not sure if I've got, you know, 40 quid or whatever. So initially it was a sense of time. I wanted my identity to allow it to grow itself through being self-employed. Then it was a case of that I wanted to live a good, normal life. So I wanted to be able to buy a half decent car, buy trainers, go on holiday. And then after that, And at this stage in my life now, I'm now thinking, well, what does freedom mean now as a parent? So freedom for me now is, well, I want the freedom to be able to be a great parent. I want to be fully present. I want to be financially secure enough that we don't have to ever worry about stuff as a family. And I hope, you know, I succeed in that. And then long term, it's like, well, perhaps I want enough freedom and wealth that if I don't want to work, I don't have to work. So freedom has evolved for me, but it's always been in alignment with my emotions and what I want and what I want to experience from life. Um, And it's worked. Like I spent my 20s always having probably at least three or four jobs. I traveled the work with traveled the world with my work, never went without stuff, but I worked at every stage of it. Um, And, you know, there's been loads of lucky moments in my life, but that's been mixed with some bloody hard work. Oh, I love it. That's such a rich insight, Ben. And what I love about your story is that when you were at private school, at boarding school, you didn't have control and you used business to give yourself control. And now you're kind of relaying that back so your daughters have that control. I just find that such a rich anecdote and that's been caffeinating for me. That's been my caffeine. And I know I'm taking so much of your time, Ben. This has been such a oh, amazing roadmap of a journey and I've managed to hear some amazing stories that there's so many interlacing golden thread lessons from i want to end up uh talking about your podcast you're 650 episodes deep you spoke with the ct fletchers of the world um you're speaking with the most avid um fitness professionals across the globe um lane norton so many people but that's not your main source of income right why do you still do what you do and what's the biggest lesson that you've learned from speaking with 600 plus people it's a mixture of things. It's intellectual curiosity. You know, you get to, you know, you've just said that you've enjoyed speaking to me. I've made you think, you know, 
that's good for you. So I do the same. I'm like, I want to speak to people that I'm interested by. I then get to elevate my platform, which means I have a greater impact on other people, which is a good thing. I feel that I speak well. I feel I've got a good story to share. I feel I can inspire people. Um, so that's a key reason. Um, there's also the self-indulgence of feeling important, having the ability to create things off the back of it. Um, you know, there's a performer deep inside me. I spent my younger years acting and, you know, but now I get to play myself and that's the best person that you can play. I don't want to play the policeman on stage anymore. I want to play the Ben Coomba and allow the Ben Coomba to influence and help and, you know, educate and inspire people. So that's why I do it. And I think I'll always do podcasting or some kind of medium like that because it's, it's rich, it's long form, it's informative, it takes you on a journey, you get to hear stories, you get to hear emotion, you're allowed to be vulnerable, you don't get that on Instagram, you don't get that on a tweet, and that's why I, I like to keep doing it. Mate, I've had the pleasure for the last hour or so, um, connecting with you on such a deep level, and I really, really think that listeners will, by just listening to this very emotive, vulnerable, stripped back chat. Mate, if the people want to connect with your story, but most importantly, buy your supplements because they connect with the overall mission statement and values of Ben Coomber. Where can they get in touch with you and your, your awesome brand? Sure. Well, everyone's online these days, so feel free to go to Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or wherever and just type in my name, Ben Coomber, C-O-O-M-B-E-R, and have a follow. If you like what you see, keep following. If you don't, then unfollow because there's no point having people in your life that aren't right for you. Uh, on your journey any particular time and then if you want to check out awesome supplements it is awesomesupplements.co.uk oh, i love it ben this is such a full circle moment for me being a consumer of your products and your podcast and now having you on thanks for stopping by it's been a pleasure i keep podcasting you're good at it you are sharing some good inspiring stories so uh keep doing what you do david and you're one of them mate thank you